Hebrews and we're being challenged by this truth that Jesus is better. If you've tasted, you know that Jesus is better. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And this morning we're going to look at how Jesus is better because we've noticed that in this first chapter, the writer to the Hebrews is telling the Jewish believers there who are some being tempted to leave Christianity and to go back into Judaism because that's the faith that they've known all of their lives. But he's telling them that, hold on, I want you to see how Jesus is infinitely better than anyone or anything else. And this morning we're going to look at the reasons why Jesus is better than the prophets. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, and we're still in these first three verses, but there is so much to unpack here, so bear with us as we continue to unpack God's word. Read together with me, if you will. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And may the Lord add his rich blessing to the reading of his word. And as we've been looking at these first three verses in this epistle, I found it very significant to note that verse 1, God who at various times and at various ways is so reminiscent of the first verse in Genesis and also of the first verse in the Gospel of John. In Genesis we read, in the beginning God. And also in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's so significant to see as we study the book of Hebrews that God is constantly before us in this epistle. We find that his name is used 68 times and on average once every 73 words. Just a little bit of trivia there if you were interested. But that is far more than most New Testament epistles. And so from the very start, as we open and read the first verses of this letter to the Hebrews, we're confronted with the reality of God and how God has been active in the story of humanity. From the very beginning, Genesis 1-1, God was active. And also, not only in the story of all of humanity, but I want us to see that this is very, very personal this morning. He has been active in our 
personal story as well, even, believe it or not, before we were even born. Isn't that an amazing fact? That God knew us before we were born. One of my college friends with whom I have a friendship uh, on Facebook, he was always a Greek and Hebrew scholar, which I am not, admittedly. And he just posted why he is pro-life and anti-abortion. He said that he discovered something that he had never seen in Psalm 139. And he gave it this translation. You, Lord, looked after me when just a fetus in the womb. You wrote the history of my life when I was still underdeveloped. Now, we know that those that are for abortion believe that that fetus is just a blob. But the scripture is very clear. That fetus is a person that God has designed uniquely and specifically. And while they were in that place of design in their mother's womb as a tiny, even microscopic fetus or embryo, God was writing their history. I don't know about you, but that excites me. That excites me to know that God knows me so intimately because he designed me so uniquely and he has a plan and purpose for each and every one of us that is different than anyone else's. It's like a fingerprint unique to you so also is God's design unique to you. And I trust that each and every one of us discover what that design is and that we are fleshing it out as we advance the kingdom of God as children of the kingdom. So he's not only a God who has been active, but the writer to the Hebrews says he is a speaking God. He's not a God who's hidden. He's not a God who's behind the scenes, who's not a God that does not have something to say. And we've learned in our previous messages that God spoke in times past through the prophets. Now we remember again that the Jewish people revered the prophets because it was through the prophets. They didn't have the Bible. They only had the prophets. And they had the prophets speaking to them the word of God. They were God's spokespersons, great men of God, but guess what? They were still men. Men who were cut from the same cloth as you and I, and as such, they were still sinners that needed the grace of God. Yes, the Holy Spirit spoke through them. Yes, the Holy Spirit anointed them with God's message, but it was only a portion of God's message. No prophet had the whole revelation of all that God wanted to communicate to his people. So he selected various men down through the Old Testament to communicate his message. But now in the book of Hebrews, he is telling these Jewish believers who are tempted to go back into Judaism why Jesus is so much better than the prophets. Yes, the prophets spoke in these, in days gone by, but Jesus, he is speaking in these last days. 
Now, I just want to pause there, and if you'll forgive this brief detour, but we need to talk about, for a moment, these last days. It's an interesting comment that Charles Spurgeon makes on this verse of Scripture. He says, saving the best for last is always God's rule. Saving the best for last is always God's rule. It's a principle in the word of God that we find over and over and over again. It's not the beginning that's so glorious. It's the end that is most glorious. Even at the wedding of Cana. The wedding was almost over and they ran out of wine. But the best wine was saved for last. And only Jesus could have produced that best wine. Even in our lives as believers. You know, now that I'm getting older, I'm starting to think about older differently. Yeah, there are aches and pains, and those of us, the few that are here in that category, know what that's all about. We have visits from Arthur, arthritis, right? And there are things that make us realize that we are getting older. But I want you to know something. The Word of God says that the path of the righteous is as the shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. And though this outward man may be perishing, the inward man is being renewed and is full of more light than it had yesterday. And tomorrow it will be filled with even greater light than it had today. And we need to rejoice in that because we were not designed to live in this flesh forever. And when we die, we need to rejoice. I know there is sadness in death because we see it only from our human perspective. But God's word says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints because he welcomes home a child that has faithfully loved him and served him. And that's a day of rejoicing. That is a day of glory. And so in these last days, the challenge for you and for me is that we be patient because we know the best is yet to come. <laughs> the best is yet to come, and our path is getting brighter and brighter. Did not Peter say, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Yes, there are temporary sufferings that we go through, but wait, just hang in there because the best is yet to be. God himself is going to minister his touch, his blessing, his restoration in your life. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that it's a light affliction which is but for a moment, but it's working. It's working. That light affliction, that thorn in your flesh, that arthritis, it's working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Of late, that verse has just been in my mind ever since Stephen led worship a few weeks ago and he talked about our light affliction. I've just been meditating on it and I believe the impact of that verse is more clearly revealed in, in more contemporary translations. Here in the... Uh, 
uh, contemporary English Bible, our temporary minor problems are producing a stockpile of glory for us that is beyond all comprehension. You, maybe you came to church today with a real heavy heart. Maybe you're in service today and there is a real burden that you're struggling with and you don't know the way out. I just want to encourage your heart today to know that it's a temporary problem, but it's producing a stockpile of glory that is beyond all comprehension. And the contemporary English version puts it this way, these little troubles are getting us ready. They're getting us ready for an eternal glory that will make all of our present troubles seem like nothing. <laughs> oh God, align our minds with your word. Not with our feelings, not with our soul, but with the spirit of God that is in us. The word of truth that is in us. God is saving the best for the last. Yes, life is full of its heartache and its trouble and its sorrow, but it ain't over yet because there's glory. There's glory up ahead. I'm reminded of that old hymn. And I keep talking about these old hymns, don't I? But you know what? I'm sorry. Those old hymns, or I should say, so many of the new contemporary gospel songs that we sing can't compare in the profundity of truth and blessing that these old hymns have. And when I was growing up, we used to often sing this hymn that says, it will be worth it all. Sometimes the day seems long. Our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair, but Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away. All tears forever over in God's eternal day. And then that beautiful chorus, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Pardon that brief detour, but I believe someone in this church needed to be encouraged today to know that it ain't over yet. There's glory, great glory up ahead. Hold steadfast. Jesus, fix your eyes on him as Dino prayed this morning. He is the author. He's begun a good work in you. He will perform it even unto the end. He is the finisher of your faith. And so as we look at our text this morning, we see that the writer to the Hebrews is pointing out that God saved the best for the last, even though he spoke a long time ago by the prophets who only declared portions of the word of God. In these last days, he has sent his son, the word of God himself, the living word of God, sent him to this earth. We're entering Advent. It's not about the Christmas trees. It's not about the hustle and the bustle of the holiday. It's about God sent his son into this world robed in human flesh. 
that we might be reconciled back to God. So what makes Jesus better than the prophets? Quickly this morning, I'm going to review. There are actually five of them in these few verses. Look at verse 2, which begins to tell us why. First of all, God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. Now, these words make a big statement about Jesus, do they not? Jesus is greater than all of the prophets because he's not a man. He's not just a prophet he was a prophet, he was a priest, he is a king, he's all of those. But more than all of that, he is the son of the living God. And as a son, because he was obedient to the Father's will, God says, I'm giving you an inheritance. Now the idea of inheritance excites some people, doesn't it? Especially if you have wealthy relatives. And in this life, you have to wait until someone dies before you can gain that inheritance. And then you learn that Aunt Tilly bequeathed you a toaster and your sister got all of her money. But you know, Jesus made out far better than that. He actually gets everything. Everything on this earth, everything in heaven, he gets it all. And everything that we think we own, it's Jesus. It belongs to him. God the Father has given Jesus dominion and authority and the right to all that ever is, was, or ever shall be. And so we ask the question, well, what qualifies Jesus to own it all? And the answer is simple. Jesus is himself God. As God's son, and that's how we often refer to Jesus, as God's son. But I hope we know that when we say he's God's son, we are not saying that he is secondary in importance or in essence. He is co-equal. See, understand the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I know it's a great mystery, and I'm not here to try to unpack something that our human mind can never comprehend. It is only by the Holy Spirit that we embrace by faith the reality of who God is. He expresses himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the scripture says, if you don't think that he's God, look at verse 2. Jesus is the creator of the universe. You say, wait a minute. My Bible says in the beginning, God created. And here Hebrews is saying, Jesus is the creator of the universe. But do you remember what was spoken by the Trinity when creation began? Let us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, working in harmony and in unity to create all that is. And it's our purpose this morning, again, not to unpack the mystery of the Trinity, but to point out that this Jesus, who walked the shores of Galilee for 33 years, was not just Jesus of Nazareth, but he was the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God, the one who created the worlds. 
And as you behold that baby in Bethlehem's manger and you look at the nativity scenes as we get into this Christmas season, I trust that we will remember that is not just any baby. That is God in the flesh. God incarnate, the glorious God who created the heavens and the earth. Isaiah must have had an understanding of that reality when he said, for unto us a son is born. What does he say of him? His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That's who Jesus is. Because only the power of an omnipotent God can create all that there is. And I love this encouragement uh, that Spurgeon found in this reality when he says, I love to think that he who created all things is also our Savior. For then he can create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. If I need a new creation, and I do, certainly do, he's equal to the task. When you think of the universe that was flung into space by the, the word of God, Jesus spoke and created the, the universe just by his word. Can he not recreate our hearts? And we can receive the promise of God's word. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will create in you a new heart. I will take out of you a stony heart. And as we walk this pilgrim's pathway, how often do we look in the mirror and say, Oh God, my heart is so hard. Oh God, I, I've missed devotions all week because I've been so busy and now I don't even feel like reading the Bible and praying. But if we just draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And he says, I'll take out that stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. So in summary this morning of these first verses that we've looked at, Jesus is better than the prophets because he's no mere man. He's God the Son who has gained an inheritance. And secondly, he's the creator of the universe. And then thirdly, we see in verse 3, the writer to the Hebrews says, he's so much better than the prophets because while they spoke the word of God, Jesus is the radiance of God himself. One Bible commentator said this, shade your eyes for you cannot look upon this wondrous sight without being dazzled by it. What does the scripture say? The glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And well do we sing that chorus. And well did you pray today, Dino. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. What are we looking at? We are looking at the glory of God, the glory of the only begotten Son of God who came to reveal to us the Father, the dazzling brilliance of the glory of God. His Son radiates that glory. You know what that glory the Jewish people were familiar with? It's equivalent to that term that we've sometimes and sometimes often hear, especially in charismatic circles, the Shekinah. 
You know, there's no glory like the Shekinah glory. Do you know why the Shekinah glory is a special, unique, wondrous glory? Because it was the glory that God promised to the children of Israel. I want to dwell in your midst. And where will I dwell? In the holy of holies between the cherubim and upon the mercy seat, the glory of God will rest. That's the same radiance now that Jesus has rent the veil in two. In the Old Testament, only the high priest could enter one day a year but now you and I come into the holy of holies, into the very presence, into the very Shekinah of God through Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who brings us to the Father and reveals to us the glory of the Father. Jesus is so much more glorious than the prophets because he reveals the glory and the radiance of God. He's also better than the prophets because the writer to the Hebrews says, fourthly, he's the express image of his person. He is the exact representation of God's being. Jesus is the real deal. He's not a fake Messiah. Down through history, there were so many who wanted to claim, I'm the Messiah. And maybe through the devil, they even did miracles. And people believed that was the Messiah. How sad that there are those that are in the darkness of some cults. I will never forget in, in Bible college how we took a trip to the Peace Mission Movement located in Philadelphia. In, in our study of what was called comparative religions, to see how the cults were in error. And we walked into this place and were seated at a table to a sumptuous meal, whereupon at the head of the table sat no one, but they believed it was Father Divine, who died, who was entombed, but because they believed he was God, he was still there in spirit. And during the Great Depression, that man did a lot of nice things by feeding the poor, and so the poor gravitated to him, believing he was God. But did he radiate the glory of God? What he radiated was the deception of darkness. And those who have their eyes blinded gravitated to that darkness, but not Jesus. See, we live in a world where there is so much fake, where there is so much counterfeit. If you've ever been to a flea market, you will find that there are so many knockoffs of designer labels. And the only thing that is genuine about that handbag or that piece of clothing is the logo of that company. Because the way you determine whether something's fake or genuine is you compare it to the genuine and then you begin to see everything about it that is false and that is fake. It's not always easy to identify what's counterfeit. 
you need to look at it in the light of the genuine. And the writer to the Hebrews is telling us, when you look at Jesus, you are looking at God. He's just not another prophet who brought to us a portion of truth. He is the revelation of God himself. He's the exact imprint of God. Because in the same way that you look at what is produced out of a mold, it is exactly how that mold or dye was designed. Exactly. And the writer to the Hebrews is telling us Christ is the exact resemblance of the Father in human flesh. And that's why Jesus was able to say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Yes, Jesus, while he walked in the flesh, he laid aside the prerogatives of deity. He needed to sleep. He felt sorrow and sadness. He shed real tears, and God does. I believe that. But everything about humanity, Jesus experienced because he was fully man, but he was also fully God. He was perfectly God, and as a man, he never sinned. He always walked in perfect righteousness. He always did everything that he saw his father doing. When you look at Jesus, you were able to say, I'm looking at God. You know, we Italians have an expression that when we see a child that looks so much like their parent that there is no denying that child belongs to that parent. Look at those two, mother and daughter. But they almost look identical. And we say in Italian, the head was cut off because they look exactly the same. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews is encouraging these Jewish believers to understand that when, when you saw Jesus walking on the earth, don't you realize you were seeing God the Father? No wonder why Jesus was able to say to Philip, Philip, have you been so long with me and you've yet not seen the Father? As we look at Jesus, we see the love of the Father, the glory of the Father, the mercy of the Father, the grace of the Father, the goodness of the Father, the faithfulness of Father God. He is God in human flesh. He is the visible image of the invisible God. And he became visible so that we could see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears and touch with our own hands. As John writes in his epistle, that which is of eternity, the word of life, he expresses the very character of God. And finally, why else is Jesus better than the prophets? Because we read he upholds all things by the word of his power. He is the sustainer of all that exists. We take an awful lot for granted sometimes, but do we understand or do you ever question and wonder why stars are just hanging suspended in space and considering that many of them and most of them are even weightier than planet Earth, that they don't come crashing down, but they remain in their orbit? And how billions of heavenly bodies orbiting space at an astronomical speed and they never collide you know what science will tell us? Well, there's some mysterious principle 
of the universe that enables the cosmos to stay in orbit and to do what it does without falling into chaos. The Word of God tells us what the true reality is. The true reality is it's because of Jesus that it's all being held together. And the idea in the mind of uh, the writer to the Hebrews is not that Jesus is some kind of Atlas who is holding planet Earth and the universe on his shoulders as some dead weight. But the essence of what is being said here is he upholds everything. Jesus is carrying it. Jesus is bringing it all to its final consummation because it has an end. Because the writer to the epistle of Peter says that there's going to be new heavens and a new earth. But until then, Jesus is sustaining what exists and is carrying it to its final consummation. All under his authority, all under his dominion. The vastness of the universe the placement of the sun, the moon, and stars, the oceans that are held in their beds, the rivers that run into the sea, the heavenly bodies that are held in their orbits. Paul tells us in Colossians, he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. You know, that truth, Christian friends, and I'm closing with this, has such a powerful application to our own lives. I hope you can see and I pray that the Holy Spirit makes this truth available to you. You might feel like your life in some ways is in chaos and in confusion. And you believe that while God can sustain the universe, somehow you wonder, can he hold me together when I feel like I'm falling apart? You know, that word in the Greek language, all things, is pas. And it refers to the totality of the universe that is inclusive, inclusive of all persons and all things. He's holding it all together. And I think that's probably where that wonderful spiritual came into being. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got me and you, brother, in his hands, holding us together. We're not falling apart. The trials and the tests of life might come against us, but we're part of all things that he's holding together. And nothing and no one is excluded from the scope of the son who is sustaining, who is supporting, who is upholding each and every one of us. So in life, there are times when friends fail us, they forsake us. There are times when the money runs out. There are times when sickness knocks at our door. There are times when sorrow rushes in and overwhelms us like a tidal wave and tsunami. I want you to know in all of those times, we can trust Jesus. He is holding us together. Jesus is God himself, the word of God, the truth 
of God, the revelation of the Father's love and the Father's faithfulness. He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how then shall he not with him freely give us all things? What do you need today? Will you trust in Jesus? Will you lean on him? Will you roll your cares on him? He upholds all things. And he wants to hold you close to his heart. He wants us to live in utter and total dependency upon him. As the writer to the Proverbs says and challenges us, trusting in the Lord with all of our heart. And leaning not to our own understanding. Do we understand, Christian friends, this is where our problem is. We're up here. Instead of being in here where the word of God has been deposited, we will never understand up here how and why and all of that. We don't have the answers. But if we say, Abba, Father, you know, you understand you, you planned this even before I was born. You designed that this would take place. I trust in you. My confidence is in you. Don't try to understand. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. That word acknowledge in the Hebrew is yada. That's the same word that speaks, uh, uh, that is used when the scripture says, in Adam knew Eve. He became intimate with Eve and she had a child. God wants us to get intimate with him. God wants us to come to know him in deeper ways. How much do you and I really know who God is? We will never comprehend the fullness of the revelation of God. It will take an eternity. But while we are here on this earth, are we satisfied just coming to church on Sunday morning and then forgetting about God the rest of the week when he says he has treasures to unlock and unfold if we would just open up our hearts, if we would trust in him, if we would listen to hear his voice, if we would keep our eyes fixed on him, the author and finisher of our faith, and not lean to our own understanding. Do we see this morning how Jesus is so much better? If Jesus had not come, we could never know God. If Jesus did not die on that cross, we could never experience being in his very presence and knowing his glory. But today, because Jesus has come, we can glorify him, worship him, and praise him as the cornerstone of our life. He is so much better than anyone and anything. We're going to close our service this morning by singing a grand hymn that's a, a more contemporary hymn, but it is a wonderful hymn. Christ, our cornerstone. So let's stand as we sing it and worship the Lord together as we allow the Spirit of God to plant his word deep in our hearts today.